All right, so can human beings live to 120, maybe 180? This week's episode, you're going to love. It's with Dave Asprey, the founder of Bulletproof Coffee. And get ready. If you've ever wanted to know the ins and outs about being a vegan, non-vegan, this is going to be a little bit controversial, but I think it's going to be an episode that you're going to love. Welcome back to The Higher Self. I say welcome back because we're back here in the U.S. It feels incredible to be here. This is our very first recording here back in Austin, and we've got Dave Asprey, the founder of Bulletproof Coffee and Biohacking, correct? And now Danger Coffee, my new coffee company, post-Bulletproof. What, what, tell me real fast, what's Danger Coffee? It's Danger Coffee because who knows what you might do. Oh, I like that. The, the idea that we want to be safe also means that we want to be dead because if you're alive, it's dangerous. And I want people who are absolutely dangerous because they're going to do the right thing, even if it's hard. That's right. It's the kind of danger I like. I like that. Beautiful. You can create a lot of things when you're in, in danger. Yeah, when you're not afraid. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. So Dave, we were talking about um, the fact that we just gave birth. And you brought up fertility, which I had no idea <laughs> that this was even going to go in that direction. But, you know, there's so many human beings that struggle with fertility, mm. that struggle having babies. I've personally seen it in ceremony with a lot of women yeah. that once the womb is clean, it's like I, I can count five or six women that, you know, a, a month later they, they were they were pregnant. But let's mm. let's have that discussion. You said you first wrote a book on fertility. Sure. Yeah. A lot of people know me for the Bulletproof Diet. It was a, a precursor to some of the keto movement, although I'm only a fan of, of using keto as a tool for short periods. It's a precursor to the carnivore movement, uh, where I'm the guy who made a global shortage of grass-fed butter yeah, <laughs> in 2014 yeah. Yeah. Uh, from putting it in coffee. But before I started the Bulletproof Diet, my first book was called The Better Baby Book. It's because my wife at the time and the mother of my children was a medical doctor from Sweden and she was infertile, diagnosed by her colleagues at the Karolinska Institute. And we said we wanted kids. So I said, we can hack that. And when you understand the system of biology, you realize that there are different levels where you're held back. So uh, we worked on a nutritional program and even some of the spiritual and emotional stuff that's a part of it. And we were able to conceive when she was 39 and at 42 with no IVF and no pharmaceuticals just by removing toxins and improving nutrient status and a bunch of other things that are in the world of biohacking. Um, the reality is that when you're in your fertility window as a woman, healthy people are more fertile. And since then, um, that book, which is called The Better Baby Book, has had thousands and thousands of people who couldn't have kids have kids. And she has a, a fertility consulting practice where we're consciously uncoupled now. But she works with you know, global families who can't conceive and helps them do it. And it's way more possible. That book, though, along with my time in the longevity and anti-aging movement uh, in a nonprofit even before that, that's what was foundational for understanding and for creating the biohacking movement the way I have. When, when you look at how fertility really works, it's this neat mix of emotional and physical. So inside almost every cell in your body, you have these mitochondria. These are ancient bacteria, and in seventh grade biology, you know, we harness them to be the power plant of our cells, which is kind of nonsense. <laughs> what they are is they're bacteria that are biosensors. They're sensing the environment around you, and then they're talking to each other, 
They're deciding what reality looks like from the perspective of a group of bacteria, and then they're letting you know what they think. <laughs> what that means is that we didn't harness them two billion years ago to be our power plants. They moved in and we're their Petri dish, mm. and they're still in charge. So kind of interesting, you have 15,000 of these little things in every cell in your brain and in your heart, and the rest of your cells have less, unless you're a woman. Because in your ovaries, you have 100,000 of these little things. And what they're doing is they're sitting there and they're looking at everything they can see. And they're saying, what kind of world do I live in today? What's the sun like? What kind of food is there? What kind of toxins are there? What kind of emotional safety is there? Am I held? Am I cared for? Is this a time to drop an egg that will thrive? Or is this time to drop an egg that will survive? So the three months before conception, for both mom and dad, but in particular for mom, it's the emotional, spiritual, nutrient, toxin, and stress status that determines which egg will get dropped. And what's even more disturbing, those eggs were made inside the mom's mom. That's right. <laughs> so, and those eggs, wait, so when does it, it never stops. It's a continuous flow. And what that means is that you can change which egg gets dropped by changing the environment around you. And then that egg, once it's there, it, it's not like race to the finish line for, <laughs> for the sperm. No, the egg decides which sperm gets let in. Mm. And when it does, it releases biophotons that you can capture on film. This is real. And there's lots of films of you know, dozens of sperm around an egg, and then one of them gets in. This is all driven by ancient bacteria, not by our, our will. But other things get in the way. The, if, especially the woman or the man sometimes, but oftentimes it's a woman, if there's disconnection from different parts of the reproductive system because of trauma, because of uh, neglect, uh, maybe just because you never put attention there, right? Because you didn't shift into that energetic state. If your uterus or your ovaries or, you know, your womb or your cervix if they don't feel safe or they don't feel like they're part of a systemic whole, it's really hard to get pregnant. It's not impossible, but it's just much harder. So when women go and they do their healing work and the guy does his nutritional work and his own healing work, because for a woman to be in that state of receptiveness, that means the guy has to be holding space for that. Right. So it, it's not like it's one or the other person's fault or either of them starts it. It's the, you know, the yin and yang symbol, you know, which, yeah. which one comes first, who the heck knows. But the reality is, both partners, when you do that, you get it. And then you resolve all this built-in societal fear around birth. And the reality is that birth is supposed to be an orgasmic experience when you've done everything you can do, but very few people experience it that way today because there's so much fear and it's big and because you go on TV and there's there's a whole industry around making sure you're traumatized when you come out into the world. Yeah, I was gonna say there's a lot of money involved. A huge money. There's a a documentary that Ricky Lake did. Do you remember Ricky Lake? Is yeah. that a familiar name? Yeah. It's called The Business of Being Born. And I met Ricky at Burning Man a while ago. She was on my show on, on The Human Upgrade. It was really interesting to hear her talk about that because she went from being this, you know, kind of toxic talk show host to I've got to do good in the world. And um, being someone who's been through birth trauma myself, I was born with a cord wrapped around my neck. Uh, I was posterior. So I went through and I did all the healing work from the transpersonal psychology realm when I was about 30, not realizing I had PTSD, not knowing the effect of birth. 
when you realize you can remember the moment of conception, if you've done your deep work, you can remember your time in the womb, you can remember your birth experience. And I didn't believe any of this was real, but I did remember it. So I called my parents and asked and they said, yeah, that actually did happen. I said, whoa. And the reason I was able to go there, I didn't know at the time that the woman I was working with was the uh, founder of the American Pre and Perinatal Psychology Association. And she spent 30 years looking at how your birth and your experience in the womb affects your personality later in life. There's real science to this. Absolutely. It's real. 100%. And if we would just acknowledge that, we'd stop being mean to kids in hospitals and we'd do a lot more gentle birthing where it's a, a spiritual, sacred experience. Um, not that different from just one of the most profound bedroom experiences you could ever have except it results in a new life that's how it's meant to be it's just not how we do it today yeah and so that that was a lot right that was a lot for people i i we're just getting going man oh i know i know <laughs> um what was interesting for me i i want to take it back to the very beginning of what you said i i want to challenge our listeners in that what actually started it all was that you didn't listen. You didn't listen to what you were told. You didn't listen to what your wife at the time was told. You said, no, we can fix this, right? That was <laughs> something inside of you. That's something inside of each and every one of us that has the ability to change our lives. And when we decide to change our lives, we have the ability to impact life outside of us, right? Mm. The second thing that I noticed was the beautiful part was that now your ex-wife is actually doing this as work. And it's something that I teach people all the time is that, you know, many times your trauma could become your greatest gift, right? It's, it's that seed that gets planted that if you have the courage to overcome it, then you have the ability to go out and create something from it that helps other people, right? A hundred percent. And, you know, for me, having kids or not having kids um, is, is a part of it. I also was 300 pounds. I had arthritis when I was 14. I was diagnosed with it. Uh, by the time I was in my mid-20s, high risk of stroke and heart attack, prediabetes, chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, brain fog, uh, just the list goes on and on. I'd been on antibiotics for 15 years every month for sinus infections and you know, was not in a very good place. Uh, you could say uh, anxiety and, and stuff like that. But Dave, can I stop you real fast? You know what the problem we have in society today is that many people think that that's normal. Oh, I did. Yeah. I thought everyone was in pain and couldn't remember their anything most of the time. But I'm just lucky my career was taken off in Silicon Valley. I mean, I made $6 million when I was 26. Uh, I lost out when I was 28. Um, so if you, you want to learn a lot, get really, really sick and lose everything, uh, you, might, uh, you might learn a few things along the way. So there would be no biohacking movement if it wasn't for two things. One, that I went through all that. And the second thing is that I was so desperate that even though I was young, I was interested in learning from my elders. Mm. So after I did all the stuff that was supposed to work, you know, I went to the doctor who told me vitamin C would kill me. <laughs> and you know, all these, all these medical experiences that weren't helpful. And I exercised 90 minutes a day, six days a week on a low fat, low calorie, uh, semi-vegetarian diet. And I've even gone as far as to be a vegan and a raw vegan along my, my journey, which is disastrous for your health. So I, I went through all these different things. And it was only when someone said, hey, Dave, there's this group of people who are in the, the longevity movement. This was before it was okay. People thought you were crazy if you said you were going to extend your life. 
And I went and I'm the only guy under 50. I'm in my 20s. And everyone, there's like 60, 70, 80. In this longevity movement. Yeah, was, we met outside Stanford University in Palo Alto. I ended up becoming president and then chairman of this group. And my friend Mike, who's on the board, he was 88 years old and he had more energy than I did. Really? He called me at 1130 at night. I have this great idea. I'm so excited. I'm like, where does he get it? But when I saw people three times my age getting younger and getting their energy back and you know, having amazing sex lives and just having this control. Like, wait a minute, I want that because I feel out of control. Most of the time in your 20s, you're like, how do I make money? How do I get laid? How do I have a good relationship? How sure. do I build my community? Those sure. are the stages of adult development. But I'm like, how do I make sure my brain works well enough to keep working? Mm. <laughs> it was where I was. So learning from my elders, people had spent their lives doing this, put me in a position to create the biohacking movement. And so I'm I'm when I talk with people in their 20s, there's a shortcut. Just listen to people who've already been there because they usually want to share it and they'll usually just do it for free because they just want to help. Yeah. Right. And I'm to this day, I have friends just at my friend's 80th birthday party. Anytime someone's 20, 30 years older than me, they're probably going to teach me something. Yeah. And what we do in society is we, uh, you know, whenever you study, you know, blue zones or people that live past 100, um, the elderly and the old are revered, yeah. you know, and, and we kind of discard people. So I think it's, it's, it, it's so wise what you just said. It's also partly old people's fault. No, I can say that. No, I just triggered a bunch of people. How dare you say they're old people? Dude, they're old people. It's okay. It, it's a good thing to be an old person. <laughs> it means you didn't die of something stupid when you were young. Right. And so if that triggers you, then you need to get a therapist because it's okay. <laughs> like, yes, there are old people. Someday you might be one if you're lucky. Yeah. So we look at our old people, but our old people are supposed to be sitting there with a twinkle in their eye, having learned a thing or two and have the energy to share it. But they didn't take care of themselves and we didn't take care of them. And we fed them and we feed ourselves food that isn't appropriate for humans. And then they sit around without any energy, without the ability to move around, and they put their car keys in the refrigerator. Right. So if you are aging, it's your job to say, how am I going to be an amazing elder for my village? Sure. And if you're younger, you say, how do I support the elders in my village? Because they're going to tell me all the mistakes they made so I don't have to make them. And I can tell you, I wouldn't be sitting here today. I wouldn't be 7% body fat if I didn't listen to my elders. It wasn't because I was such a good person and highly moralistic. It's because I was desperate and no one else seemed to have the answers. <laughs> yeah, so I get that. Yeah. So. I want to go really deep into all of this because um, if there's anybody that's been on this journey of health, fitness, trying everything, it's me. So I'm I'm going to come at this conversation from a student, but hopefully it allows our listeners to really get the insights that they need. Um, I definitely, I don't believe it. I know we can live to 110, 120. I know well, that. Well, people have already done that. That's, yes. Yeah, that's not even special. Okay, so... <laughs> So first things first, let's, let's answer this question. What exactly is biohacking? Biohacking is a movement that I started about a dozen years ago. And when I started it, the definition was the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so that you have full control of your own biology. That means you can live longer than you want to. You can be as lean or as fat as you want. You can be a sumo wrestler or a fitness competitor. You can be a balloon animal bodybuilder, or you can be, you know, a, a marathon runner who's stringy. You can be full of energy. 
you can be smarter than you want, you can be calmer than you want, you can be more peaceful, you can have a bigger brain, you can change your IQ, whatever you want. Just understand what you want probably isn't what the person sitting next to you wants, but it unites all of these different elements. My longevity friends, my bodybuilding friends, special forces people, people who are editing their own genes. I just did gene therapy for my longevity because to me, I can do at least 180. Mm -hmm. 120 is boring because it's already been done. I want 50% better, but I have 100 years to do it. I think we can do that. So the idea here is what do we have in common? And in the biohacking movement, there's my group called the Biohacking Conference. We're in our 10th year of a conference for about 3,000 people. It's in May in Dallas. And it's now a $10 billion industry around the world of people who are saying, huh, what are the tools, whether it's in our environment, it's our food, lifestyle, knowledge, that give us that control that we always had, we just didn't know where the buttons were. Mm. I love that. So if you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you'll know that I'm a strong believer and advocate for plant medicine and its ability to awaken and heal the mind, body, and soul. It's a belief that is deeply rooted in my own personal experience with both ayahuasca and psilocybin mushrooms. And many of you for years have always asked me, you know, Danny, where do I go? Who can I trust? And there is only one place I would ever recommend or put my name behind, and that is Reunion. Reunion is a place where you could set yourself free from whatever is holding you back from living the life of your dreams. It's a beachfront, beautiful property that is in Costa Rica. And what I love about it is that it's not for profit. And this is the only thing that they focus on is the preservation and the safe utilization of these beautiful, wonderful medicines. And I only feel comfortable putting my name behind it because I am personal friends and have journeyed with some of the members of the facilitating team. Guys, I'm honored to have aligned myself with them to create the Higher Self Scholarship Fund. It's a fund whose purpose is in helping people who don't have the means to experience these medicines and yet have the desire to. And every time one of you books a retreat with Reunion, $100 from every booking is going to go into this fund and we will be sharing this money with people on a monthly and bi-monthly basis. So help me help others by using the code Danny Reunion when you go to register to experience your own life transformational journey. To find out more, go to reunionexperience.org and get ready. So I'm going to ask you about something that is an interesting subject for me. Sure. And I'm sure you know about, um, and that is the desire to be lean, mm -hmm. right? It's something that I think, I don't, I don't know what man I may be projecting that doesn't want to be in great physical shape. It's, it's, it, it makes uh, us feel secure, incredible, strong, so forth and so on. I think there might be a few of us out there. That don't, that don't want that. Yeah. Okay. So with that said, I have done everything. Okay. And I, and I want to share my journey with you. Oh yeah, do share. Because the first was the bodybuilding side mm -hmm. of things, right? Which for me does not work. I have identified that now. Too many aches and pains, so forth and so on. But I will say that when I was at my biggest and strongest, I could remember the trainer at the time telling me, you know, he had me on steak and potatoes in the morning, steak and potatoes in the middle of the day. And instinctively, I thought, shit, that's a lot of meat. I'll park that there. Sure. Right? Then you go to, you know, Tony Robbins and Tony Robbins, you know, on day five of Unleash the Power Within or whatever. Um, says, you know, when you're ready to get healthy, you have to cut out all animal products, how, right? How did that work for him? 
So well, we'll, we'll we're just gonna keep talking. We're gonna have, <laughs> I'm gonna tell you the whole thing, the whole thing. Right? I love Tony, just for the record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, so, that one didn't work so well. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then, um, we, which is great to hear that, yeah. right? Because that's real. That's true, oh. right? So, so then you get this thing planted inside of you that says, if I'm gonna be healthy and I'm gonna live long, I have to stay away from meat. I'm gonna sit that one there. Then my mom dies of cancer, right? And my mom dies of cancer from the lung. Mm. which through my journeys with ayahuasca and mushrooms, I now realize, yes, probably had the fact to do that she drank, that her diet consisted of bread and butter. You know, it's all she did, toasted bread and butter. And, you know, a little probably bit, not good for you. Probably not good for you. Yes. But more than anything was very emotional. My mom had a lot of emotional wounds mm. inside of her. Yeah. So We'll park that one there. That started a journey of, you know, my, my time with ayahuasca, my time with mushrooms. And when you go to ceremony, it is, and I will say this to this day, it is a good idea to stay away from animal products so that you can just energetically be cleansed, be ready. It shows up in ceremony in that way, right? I'll park that one there. Then I discovered a guy by the name of Noon Amun-Ra. Have you heard of that name? Noon Amun-Ra. I've heard the name, but give me context. So Noon Amun-Ra holds the world's record for the deadlift. He's this buff, massive, um, you know, really healthy um, uh, uh, guy that teaches this specific diet where you fast for 23 hours a day. Um, you break that fast with an amino acid elixir, mm -hmm. uh, with some soy protein, every sort of soy? amino, yeah, <laughs> soy protein, every sort of amino acid that you can think of, um, some spirulina, and then you have one meal and it's a vegan meal. Mm -hmm. Okay. I went all in, I went all in and I got the leanest I had ever been. I was probably 6% body fat. I had abs everywhere. Um, to be honest with you, I felt like I could physically run for as long as you needed me to, or lift whatever you needed me wow. to. Here was the problem. The problem was I wasn't sleeping. Yeah. You were stressed. Uh, your testosterone started to go through the floor because you had no saturated fat and you're lacking protein. It's kind of predictable. But the first year, I call that the vegan trap, actually. That's what Usain Bolt did. So, right? so hang on. There's more. There's okay. more. So for a man who always wanted to look like that, mm -hmm. I got what I wanted, right? <laughs> but subconsciously, I was thinking to myself, you know, if I'm stuck out on a deserted island somewhere and I cannot get access to these supplements, mm -hmm. I'm fucked, right? So there was something about that that just didn't sit well with me. And little by little, I started to eat more of what I had been eating. I ballooned, and now I'm in the space of like, I'm 50% vegetarian. I stay away from dairy. It, it, it doesn't sit well with me. I have my eggs here and there. I, when I wanted, I have some chicken every once in a while. I have some steak and, and I got to be honest, as I look at you in mm -hmm. your age, how old are you? Uh, well, I really have a hard time with this one. So my lab tests say I'm 39. Okay. Um, so I identify as 39, 39. but the calendar says I'm 51 now, 51. but that, would be triggering for me. So every time I have to fill out a form, they're not respecting my identity as a 39 year old. <laughs> so listen, so, so, so listen, obviously. I'm so confused. 
So obviously you're doing something right, right? Yeah. So I respect that. And right after you, Mark Sison is coming. I love Mark. Is he going to yeah, be here? He's going to be here, uh, right, right here. Nice. From Primona Churches. So yeah, you know, I respect the fact that you guys are both older than me, and something is going right. So my my first question is, why wasn't I able to sleep? And 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 I notice when I only eat one meal a day, mm -hmm. my I'm just I'm out here. Yeah. I, yeah. I can tell you what's going on there. Sure. So I, I wrote, uh, I have I know, a handful of New York Times bestsellers. One of them is called Fast This Way. And this is a book about fasting. My publisher came and said, Dave, write a book on fasting. I said, it's been done. But The Bulletproof Diet was the first intermittent fasting big book out there anyway. But they convinced me that it was a good idea to, to go on it so I could write about the psychological and the spiritual side of fasting in addition to the biology and the biohacking side of fasting. And there's something that I call the keto trap, the vegan trap, and the fasting trap, and they're all the same thing. And it's when you do something, any of those practices, all of which I can support for a brief period of time, <laughs> uh, you'll feel really good, right? And it's because of, of various shifts. And there's different reasons you might feel good, but it's a short-term boost. And if you don't cycle and do the, the thing where you kind of like a sine wave, you go up and down, up and down, then you get stuck there. And when you're doing one meal a day or over fasting, what happens usually is you say, well, I started intermittent fasting and I feel so much better, which is what happened to me. I fasted in a cave for four days and was like, oh my God, I didn't die. This is great. A shaman dropped me off in the desert. I was afraid of being alone and I was afraid of being hangry and hypoglybitches. So I'm like, hey, so no we'll deal with it. Yeah, no people, no food, four days in a cave. You know, I can yell at the walls if I want. It doesn't matter. So that was the context for the whole Fast This Way book. And I've taught about 100,000 people how to fast um, on, on my blog. Just, you know, there's a, a sign up for that. And the issue there is, is that when you have one meal a day, after a while, your catecholamines, your stress hormones, they just get tweaked. And when you overfast, you hit a wall. And it's different for men and women. Women hit the wall first but the symptoms are very similar. So the first thing you experience when you're over-fasting, you're over-ketoing, you're over, over beginning, when you're not getting enough calories even, even if you're not fasting explicitly, you're going to have a reduction in sleep quality. This is your body releasing stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol saying, could you use the energy to go kill an animal and eat it already? Like it's time for nutrition. And if you don't do that, the body gets a signal that says there must be a famine and it gets stressed and it starts putting you in survival mode. It's not a good situation. And you're going to experience this in your sleep first. And then after that, if you don't fix the problem, women hit the wall first and they say, oh, where my monthly cycle is disrupted. It's not as regular. I'm having more severe symptoms of PMS. I'm basically not the way I normally am. For guys, we, after we've ruined our sleep quality, we wake up without a kickstand. Huh. Maybe my testosterone is dropping, but we keep fasting because we know fasting is good for us. Can I tell you what is just coming to me? What happened? Yeah. I would get out of bed and next thing you know, this happened. I kid you not, three times I'd be on the floor. Oh, yeah. And I have no idea how or why that happened. I know exactly what happened. You gave yourself low blood pressure, right? You were so stressed and you'd made so much adrenaline and cortisol that when it was time to get out of bed, what we normally do is we make cortisol in the morning, which raises our blood pressure, so that doesn't happen. 
And if your ability to make cortisol is compromised because you haven't been eating enough, or maybe you're low in sodium, which is another common problem, you stand up, you get low blood pressure, and you pass out. I've dealt with that before. In fact, I genetically have low blood pressure, and uh, I've actually I've passed out in an airplane aisle once. So stay hydrated; it's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, so you can you all you needed to do was eat a wider window. Window. And the reason it's called fast this way is that you don't do the same thing every day. If you just flew back from London, don't fast that day. Your body doesn't need more stress. Fasting's like exercise. And I, I feel bad when people tell me, oh, you know, I'm running marathons and triathlons because it just takes it out of you, Yeah. right? And if you do that and intermittent fasting, it's not gonna work. So what I tell women especially is that the benefits in the studies, there's a whole chapter in Fast This Way just for women. It's 12 hour fasts three times a week you start to get benefits. They don't have to be 18 or 23 hour fasts. And when I, I look at guys like Jack Dorsey, um, who is the founder of Twitter and, uh, and someone who's been following my work publicly for a long time, uh, he started fasting, but then he got to one meal a day, which is what you were doing, plus a 48 hour fast every weekend. And that's over fasting. I've gotten there too. So the idea is doing the same thing every day, whether it's exercise or fasting is probably a bad idea. It's what are my goals today? How do I feel today? What did I do yesterday? What are my plans for today? and then choosing the right amount of fast. You shouldn't be afraid of breakfast, mm. but you should be afraid of grains for breakfast because grains are stupid. I've heard you say that. Yep. You're, you're really against oatmeal, which by the way, mm -hmm. I will say, when I cut oatmeal out, I notice a difference. <laughs> so I've heard you say peasant food. Yep. Right? I get that. I get that. Yeah. Talk to us, what was the origination of oatmeal? Where did that idea come from? Well. The wealthy class has always looked for a way to feed the peasants so the peasants would raise the milk and the meat and take care of things that needed taken care of, but it didn't cost too much. Like this shouldn't be that hard to, to, to think about. That's going to offend a lot of people, Dude. but you're just saying, you're just saying the, 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 the truth I'm, based I'm off I'm sorry. Of, Let's see. Yeah. In Europe, did they do that? Yeah. They can't. In Egypt, did they do that? Yeah. Let's go to Peru. Did the rulers in Peru have people run fresh fish in from the ocean 200 miles in before it could spoil so they could eat the fish, but the other people ate the corn and beans and they were four feet tall? Yes. So you can get mad at me for that, in which case you should just pass me the steak you probably didn't eat, and that's okay too. Like, it, get angry. I, whatever. This is how human history works. And then let's go into the parts of the world where, where we eat rice. If you're wealthy enough to eat white rice, you do that. And that's because the toxins are in the outer part of the rice. But if you're just going to feed the people long enough to have babies so they can keep doing your bidding, you feed them the brown rice because who cares if they get extra arsenic and it's rough on their gut? It doesn't affect their ability to reproduce. And you could say that's such a dark view of the world. And you could say, oh, wait, do we do that with our industrial farm animals? Yes, we do. It's so Absolutely. weird. We feed moldy grains and moldy corn to animals that we're not trying to get pregnant, but if we feed that to the animals that we're trying to get pregnant, they can't get pregnant. So they feed the cleaner, more expensive food to the animals that they want to reproduce, and before they're going to die, they feed them the dirtiest food with the most toxins because, well, they're gonna kill the animal before the toxins do, and then we eat those animals. That's why I'm a fan of grass-fed, grass-finished meat, and I don't eat industrial meat uh, almost ever, actually, there's probably been 40 or 50 times in the last 10 years that I've had an industrial meat because there was just no other choice on a long trip. So what do you do when you go to a restaurant? 
you just won't. You order the grass-fed steak. There and isn't. And if not, you just. There isn't grass-fed steak. There's usually wild-caught fish. And if there's not, then I look at what's on the menu and I do my best. So let's get this out of the way because this is a, a great. I I I love this conversation sure. because it's a conversation. It's you know, right now you know you have you know. It, it's beautiful the way human beings are, but you have the issue of like Christian versus Muslim. You have East versus West. You have America versus China. You have Crips versus blood. And right now you have vegan versus non-vegan. It's, it's like this thing. You don't actually. You know? So less than 4% of the population is vegan. There's actually more gay people than there are vegans, to be really, really clear. So where did this notion come from that to live longer... It is a good idea to <laughs> not eat animal. Where did that notion come from? Mm. And based off of your research, based off of humans who you have met, who mm -hmm. live long, is there any validity to that? There is no validity to the idea that being vegan makes you live longer. The idea of a vegan diet came from a combination of animal rights terrorists. They're known as PETA. Uh, as well as religious cultists going back to the early 1900s, including Reverend Kellogg. You familiar with this? Yeah. So cornflakes were invented to lower testosterone because Kellogg, who was a very weird dude, he believed in circumcising boys and girls because masturbating was absolutely the, the most terrible thing ever. And if he could just make food that would reduce our desire, then we'd be better people. Wow. So corn flakes and graham crackers, high carbohydrate, grain-based, low-fat foods are built to neuter you. Wow. And it turns out that these guys, as well as a couple other groups, they've been behind food policy since the formation of food policy groups. So we basically had some religious radicals who came in and have been trying to influence U.S. food policy. Now... The animal rights guys came in in the 60s and 70s, and they realized that people won't listen, so they started making up health stories about a plant-based diet. Now, you could say, well, both of those groups, yikes, one's working on policy, the other one's working on bullying, uh, as well as blowing up research labs working on chicken eggs, which is something those guys have done. Oops. So, well, how would this ever get into our actual policy? Well, it's the back-end stuff that's the problem, and then you get the big food companies to say, wait a minute, Animal protein, which is the highest nutrient value and the most absorbable, it's also the most expensive to produce. And even dairy is expensive compared to soy milk mixed with one almond, or, you know, whatever the kind of these fake milks with no protein. So if we can sell those for $10 and cow milk is $2.50, why wouldn't we sell the highest margin product? And since we have shared ownership with the pharmaceutical companies that are treating diabetes and cancer that are caused by these foods, it's like the best business model ever. Yeah. And it's not evil people. Actually, there are evil people, but it's not mostly evil people thinking that way. It's emergent behavior from complex systems. We set up our incentives that way, and this is what comes out of it. So no, the plant-based diet is nonsense. If you turned around and took a bite of the plant behind you, you might go to the hospital. You certainly would go to the bathroom. Most plants you cannot even eat. And the idea that, oh, because it's a plant that I can eat, therefore it's good for me, it's on its face stupid. Every plant has its pros and cons. And to think that blindly plants are good for you, I did that. 70% of kidney stones are caused by plants. They're not caused by meat. So from a, I, I, 
from a spiritual perspective. Yep. Right. Um, I will say I follow this guy on Instagram uh, named uh, Tosh Collins. I think it's his name is. And, you know, I have been challenged in my own mind to think every time I walk into a grocery store, I think to myself, you know, the, some human productized and capitalized on food. There was once a point in time in our history where there were no grocery stores, where we were responsible to mm -hmm. go out there and uh, go hunt and go create, go plant, whatever the case may be, food, our own food. And some dude, some genius thought, you know what, I'm going to get in the way of this and I'm going to make money from this. I, I had this download the other day. Mm. I, I literally saw the first little grocery store and then some other bigger dude thought, you know what, we're going to make this even bigger, right? And if you look at Amazon's purchase of Whole Foods, for example, there's, I mean, there's all you have to know there, right? Mm. What, I, what I'm asking you is this. Or what I want to say is this, when I was following this guy, Tosh, Tosh Collins, he's an Indian. And I saw him, I saw a video, I saw him go out on a hunt. I saw him kill an animal, which I'll be honest, I had an issue with. And I saw him revere that entire process in such a beautiful Thank and you. honorable way. I saw him pray over the animal. I saw him you know, give thanks to God over the animal. I saw him, you know, strip that animal of essentially every mm. part of it, which I got to be honest, sometimes with all these mass production animals, it's like sometimes the animal goes to waste. So that life goes to waste. No, That's no horrible. Part, no part of those animals goes to waste. That's just economics. Even the bones from those animals. No, no, get... I'm saying if it gets into your home yeah. and it spoils and you don't oh, eat yeah, yeah. it, okay, it's going, go. it's going to waste. That, that's a fair point. But in, yeah. in terms of like you know, even industrial animal agriculture, there is no waste product at the end of that, um, other than if they just waste the poop, which is supposed to be going into the soil. But that's just bad management. But all the parts of the animal, even the bone, your your vegan food is grown in soil that has animal bones crushed up in it because that's how the world works. You you can't have life without that. Hmm. So if someone is listening to this conversation and they say to themselves, okay, whoa, this is, this is rocking my mind right now, <laughs> right? Which hopefully, guys, if you're listening to this podcast, you understand that a lot of what's going on mm. out in life is a program, right? You got to find your way out of the program and you've got to find a way to find what works for you, right? So from Dave Asprey's perspective, for a human being that wants to live to 120 or more, mm -hmm. right? Or more, what do they do? Well, there's, there's a couple of things you said in there that, that makes me think there might be a little bit of triggering going on with you. Mm, okay. So the idea that, you know, some guy stepped in with the idea of you're getting in front of, of people's food. I look at that as some guy stepped in and said, how do I serve my community better? How do I make food more available? I saw that as got well. It. Absolutely. Got, Absolutely. Got it. So serving others and making money doing it, it's an act of service. Entrepreneurs, I think, make the world a better place. Uh, and some of them are douchebags and some of them have no ethics, just like politicians also fall in those same sure. buckets, right? Absolutely. So that's a human nature issue. Absolutely. And then I built a regenerative farm on Vancouver Island, 32 acres from scratch with chickens and pigs and cows and sheep. And 
lots of vegetables and berries and all those kinds of things. And I got to know the animals. I've done initiatory shamanic training. I did ayahuasca in 1999 in Peru. I went down there and I asked them for it and they said, you're white. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I noticed. And they said, no, it's for locals. You won't like it. There was no, there was no tourism. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I was an early adopter there. So I have a spiritual practice. I also went to Tibet and Nepal and I learned meditation from the masters there as part of my, my journey. And I went to a monastery in a remote part of Tibet and Tibetan Buddhists, they love arguing. So the Lama, the head guy at the, at the monastery is there and there's a yak skin up on the prayer pole. And I said, your rules say no killing and you have a yak skin. You're a hypocrite. And they like pointing like they, like it, it actually is like part of the culture. And he starts laughing at me. He goes, one death feeds everyone. And I go, what? He said, yeah. He, he said, we like to minimize our deaths. He said, that one death fed everyone in the monastery for months. And I actually took that to heart. I, I had been a vegan and then a raw vegan before I went on that trip, but it was making me really sick. Like it does for 80% of people who start going vegan, they get sick and they stop in the first year because it's so bad for you. And people now are being triggered and they're saying, but, but you didn't do it right. No, I did it right. Like I, I'm very knowledgeable on this stuff. I can sprout and blend and all that kind of stuff. Bottom line is plant toxins are a thing. So what, what I did though, is I came back and I said, how many animals died to make ramen? Well, all you have to do is go to a farm where there's a big tractor going through a field and it's cutting everything. And if there is still life on the land, which there is not because we sterilized land, by the way, that's all deaths per calorie too. But if there's life there, there will be birds flying around, eating the turtles and even the baby deer that get just chopped up by the combines. It is brutal. Everything dies. Turtles, bunnies, mice, salamanders, frogs. See how I picked the cute ones? You know, beetles don't matter to most of us or earthworms. Mm-hmm. But all of this, if you eat even one bite of non-organic grain, the amount of glyphosate that is legal to have in your soil is 300 times higher than the amount that causes seizures in earthworms. So you are killing thousands to tens of thousands of lives when you have your bowl of tofu. And that's stupid. Wow. Because you're a hypocrite if you think a plant-based diet doesn't kill things. Now, as a small farmer, let me tell you about my walnut tree. On your farm? On my farm. Where's the farm? Vancouver Island. Is it still there? Yeah, still there. I'd love yeah. to visit that with my kids. Um, I'm, I'm up for that. I have to do it when I'm there, you know, when my yeah. kids are there and my, my former wife. Yeah. And the walnut tree, the kids were so excited we're gonna get walnuts, and then the walnuts all disappeared. Like, what is going on? So we went and we tied little balls of paper and string around, and those went away. Like, what's happening? So finally we found out the squirrels were stealing this. They would untie the string. We thought it was the crows. If we want those walnuts, guess what has to die? The squirrels. Yeah. Right? So in order for us to have our beautiful strawberries, you know how many slugs we've killed? I don't know either, but it's a lot because they come in and they eat everything. So if you want to eat a plant, you are going to stop another creature from eating the plant or your farmer is, and they're going to do it by any means necessary, which usually is trapping pesticides, killing, salt, all the things you do, right? So that's a hard truth. Let's talk about the animals. The animals that we have eat things that humans won't eat or shouldn't eat. 
Chickens are not vegan. Chickens are the biggest meat eaters you will ever find, and they crave fat, they crave protein, and so do pigs. And they eat what's left if they have to. And if you're in communion with your animals, the reason animals come here, and this gets to more of the spiritual shamanic sure, stuff. Sure, sure. Animals come here for an experience of being nourished and nourishing us, and all they ask for is our gratitude. Mm. And we've had, especially with the sheep, the ones we're, we're most connected with, when it's time for them to be butchered, they will walk to the part of the property where they're going to be butchered. No way. Absolutely. It doesn't always happen. Like some of them are more flighty than others, but the ones that, are, that you're connected with, you're because, not gonna, because, because the soul understands that's part of their journey. The gratitude is there, yeah, right? It's there for, for every that. day. You wake up early. You wake up at three in the morning. You're, you're helping them deliver their little lamblets. And it's a lot of work and it's a lot of love. And, and this is why no small farmer is going to abuse their animals because you live with them. They're, they're mm. part of it. And you see the parts of the land where the animals go and everything is lush and the parts where it's fenced off, animals don't go. The grass isn't very healthy. So yes, you get you get wool and you get you get meat and you get milk, depending we don't do milk on that farm, but you know, you can. But you also get poop, which gives you soil, which gives you plants, which gives you life. And for people to stand there and say, just say no to animals, these sunken-eyed, sallow, unhealthy, disconnected people who think we're somehow meat robots, somehow separate from the cycle of life, it is a mental illness. It is sad, it is spiritually disconnected, and it is the harshest, most evil, and hard to defeat form of spiritual egoism out there. Mm. You are killing things to be alive. You better not waste one minute of your life. You better not waste one ounce of your energy. And to take your time to tell people to do things that make them weak, spiritually and physically, so you can feel better about yourself while you gaslight yourself about the number of deaths for your tofu, it is wrong. So I. I get that. I don't think it's, I don't think it's that for definitely not for mm -hmm. me or for our community. I think it's, I think hearing what you just said, um, because listen, when you do ayahuasca, when you do plant medicine, it, it definitely opens you up to the beauty of life and you want to revere that. Right. I think what you just said about the sheep and, you know, loving the animals I, I can see that. I could see the animal, the soul of an animal coming, knowing that they're coming for the purpose of this experience and to yeah. be in service because that's how they are in service to the humans. Hey guys, before you continue listening, I wanted to introduce you to the sponsor of this episode, Athletic Greens. I decided to give AG1 a try because I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great, boosts my energy and supports my immune system. Uh, especially for someone like myself that fasts all day, I take it in the morning before starting my day and it makes me feel incredible. It makes me feel like I'm doing something good for my body. It also helps me save an enormous amount of time and it makes my life so much easier with just one scoop in the morning. So it makes it a very seamless and easy daily habit for me. Just one serving of this stuff, AG1, supports my long-term gut health. It has 75 high-quality vitamins in it, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. So if you're looking for a simple and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs 
with your first purchase. So just go to athleticgreens.com backslash Danny. That's athleticgreens.com backslash Danny and go check it out today. The, the next time you do medicine, whatever your form is, or you, I do it with holotropic breathing, you do it with neurofeedback, you can do it with mm. the different psychedelics. You can talk to the energy field of a species, whether it's a plant or an animal. And I'll tell you, you know what, what species are, I guess it's a plant, yeah, still a species, is most angry? It's soy. Soy. Yeah. Talk to mother soy. Soy is pissed off. Soy, soy doesn't want to be food. It's a nitrogen fixer. It was not supposed to be. It's completely misused by humans and it's pissed, right? And you talk to something like corn, which has also been abused. It's like, yeah, all right, we're here to help. Right, like that, that's why we came in, that's why the Peruvians got us. So yeah, it's not happy about things, but you can work with it. Yeah. You talked in tobacco, right? Tobacco, we've also abused the hell out of tobacco, sure. but tobacco's still willing to help, right? So some plants have a energy contract with humans and some don't, right? So for us to think that somehow we're special and that things with eyes are more special than plants, Maybe you need to go a little bit deeper in your understanding of life because at the end of the day, plants are a distributed intelligence. It's just slower and you are a distributed intelligence too, mostly run by your mitochondria at the very core that then comes up to your slow brain. And um, just because we run at different speeds, uh, we both operate at the same dimension, both humans and plants uh, and actually the fungal kingdom as well, right? Yeah. Those are kind of the three big things we all, we all go back to a few billion years ago. So it's a little bit absurd, some of these arguments that I hear out there. Like, I, I, I can't have a death. Like, okay, you have a trauma. You have a fear of death, but denying that it's there, like, everything dies. You're going to die. It's okay. Yeah. So let's take it away from there. I, I, I really want to know now. So, you know, somebody's listening to this. They go, wow, you know, this has opened my mind. What's the diet? What, 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 what does one eat and doesn't okay. eat in order to live the longest? based off of your sure. findings, your research, and probably real life examples of people that you know. I'm going to suggest going to daveasprey.com slash roadmap. It is 100% free. It's a one page summary of the Bulletproof diet. People have lost a couple million pounds on this diet. And number one, you avoid seed oils. I'm one of the, probably the longest lived modern humans who has avoided seed oils, these omega-6 fats like canola, soy, yeah. corn, all Us grape Hispanics seed. are raised on that shit. It's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. And, and that's where we're all fat, quite frankly. It's And same in India. Like they replaced ghee. It, so in, in Mexico, they replaced manteca, you know, lard yeah. <laughs> with corn oil. Yeah. And then everyone swells up. It's, in India, it's ghee. It's yeah. saturated fats. So I only eat saturated fats and some avocados and some olive oil, but not too much olive oil. And there's a very precise reason for that. And so I'm 7% body fat and I work out 20 minutes a week. A week. Yeah. By the way, that's another thing mm -hmm. I have been noticing. It's like when you get the diet right, you don't have to put that much. Yeah, no. I get that. And I mean, I, I don't want to like be douchey, but I'm relatively lean, right? And there are guys with way more muscle than me. Like, yeah, fine. Yeah. I, I'm pretty muscular and I have abs and I have never looked better in my life. And I was a 300 pound fat computer hacker with autoimmunity and a lot of things wrong with me early on. So if I can do this at 51 or 39, depending on what you want to say, um, it's probably easier for you. Okay. But just, just straight up. So, so, so what's, so what's, what, what's your feeding window? I, my feeding window is whatever I want it to be today. Okay. Okay. Uh, I usually would say it, I usually 
eight hours is, okay. is pretty common. So I like to have an early dinner, like around five or six. Don't always, but I usually do. It's much better to do that. It's one of the biggest variables people don't pay attention to. Uh, and then my morning, probably around 10 o'clock, between 10 and 5. Sometimes it's between noon and 5. And sometimes, depending on other things, I might have you know, three meals, sometimes four meals, if I'm trying to get my protein up. If I, my 20 minutes, if I stimulated muscles the day before, I'll probably eat an extra helping of protein. Gotcha. I eat one gram of animal protein per pound of body fat. I don't count plant-based protein because it doesn't absorb very well. You would need to eat twice as much of it. So it's just an accident. And by the way, if that's offensive to anyone, um, gluten is plant-based protein. So you should be able to just have a bunch of gluten. Oh, wait, you can't. It's called Satan. And you can order that. Okay, Satan. Uh, but <laughs> then they actually sell it as a health food, even though it's not. Mm. So different proteins do different things to your body. So animal protein, one gram per pound of body weight. You could say of lean target body weight if you're obese like I used to be. Sure. Uh, and you do that. And you don't eat bad fats. And do you have carbs? Sometimes, but probably not all the time. If you're trying to lose weight, you should be in ketosis for a few days and then go out. Don't stay in ketosis for a long period of time. I don't do keto on a regular basis, but I burn ketones really well. I add a little MCT oil to my coffee. By the way, my new coffee, Danger Coffee. We talked about that earlier. So typical day, red meat, red meat, red meat, and... Rather than eating a bunch of high oxalate vegetables, oxalate is a common plant toxin, one that causes kidney stones, one I got way too much of when I was a, a vegan with spinach and kale and beets and all that nonsense. It takes years to get rid of that from your body, but the plants that don't get enough attention are herbs. The original trading roots on earth were the salt trading roots for minerals. And after that, it was minerals and then herbs and spices and tea and coffee. Mm. And the reason for that is that those are the vitamins. So if you have oregano and rosemary and thyme and whatever other herbs and spices you like, thousands of times more polyphenols than stupid kale. So people are arguing you should eat these leafy greens for no good reason. It, it's almost like if you had a, a bowl of, of cyanide and lead and you sprinkled vitamin B on top, and be like, oh, look, it has vitamin B. You should eat it. They just ignore everything except the good side. When you're looking at any food, you look at the upside and the downside, and you look at your biology, and you look at your goals, and then you choose the food based on that. Got it. And what you'll find is that animal protein is necessary if you want to have full expression of all that your body can do. You want to be vegetarian, it's fine. What you just said... What you just said rings a bell to me because when I do lift and I do eat animal protein, I feel so much stronger. Yeah. I feel so much just, but it, it's, and, I, and I want more. I, I, yeah. I, yeah. It's not this that's just feeling stronger. The, no, 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 no. I it, mean, just, it, it's just, your, your yeah, energy field expands. Yeah. You can measure it with Kirlian photography and there's all kinds of digital ways to do that now. In fact, I measure cell voltage at, at Upgrade Labs. This is my, my biohacking franchise that's opening across the country. You come in the door, I mean, what's the electrical status of your body right now? Where's the fat? Where's the inflammation? Where's the muscle mass? What do you want to do? And then we use AI to guide you through all these different things. You can go to ownandupgradelabs.com. It is, is where people are going so they can open one in their neighborhood. But it starts out with how are your cells? You bring in someone who has been on a plant-based diet for good reasons, they thought, all of which 
turns out were marketing ploys, but they're not going to have the electrical function that you'd want. They aren't going to have the resilience that they want. And they're usually looking for something like, why is it not working? And so we're not going to tell you what you have to eat, but I will tell you, you can be vegetarian if you want, right? We have plenty of evidence for that, but vegetarians eat lassi, they eat eggs, they eat cheese, they eat dairy protein. And if you're not willing to do that, you're probably going to have health problems. Now, I can count on one hand the number of people I know who have been long-term vegans and will say gotten away with it. It is exceptionally unusual. And they still would be healthier if they would have a couple scoops of whey protein. Well, with that, that new Naman Ra diet mm-hmm. I was telling you about, what, what the, the, the game was you would replace the animal proteins with all the supplements. But yeah. then... But then I, I just had a, such a hard time with that. It just didn't sit well. You know, I know. Why not, why not do the actual thing the, that... The, here's, here's the thing. If, it's going to be a little bit technical if that's all right. So I wrote a major book on longevity called Superhuman. Uh, I'm in the middle of launching a longevity venture fund. And I spent you know, 25 years looking at how to live longer. So this is one of my big passions. There's a compound called mTOR uh, that I, I've written about. And this is something that causes growth of your tissues. So you want mTOR if you're bodybuilding, but if it's always on, your cancer risk goes up. So the animal rights people have said, well, and the big industry trying to sell you grains and sugar, they're saying, well, animal protein amino acids raise mTOR, therefore it's bad. You're like, didn't I want to put on muscle? So you need to cycle in and out of this. Plant-based proteins lack amino acids that cause mTOR to go up. So you could say, therefore, they're good for aging but therefore they're bad for growth. Mm. So you would solve that by doing intermittent fasting and sometimes having no amino acids present. The other thing they don't tell you is that, you know what raises mTOR more than animal protein amino acids? Sugar and carbohydrates. So if you want to be on a 80% fat, <laughs> low glycemic diet for a couple of days, you could do that too, or you could just go four days without food and be done with it. So cyclical fasting is important with animal protein that is my bet for living a long time, and I'm getting the data. Uh, I am younger and stronger and leaner. My brain works better now than I was, uh, you know, five or ten or even twenty years ago, and I'm getting younger faster. The idea that you're supposed to be vegan to live a long time—just look at the people who do that. Yeah. Just look at their faces, look at their bodies, look at their strength, look at their boobs, even if they're men. And I say this respectfully as a guy who had a serious problem with man boobs uh, when I was younger, like it doesn't work. And it's okay to say it doesn't work. I will eat gravel (laughs) and turnips if If that is the diet that will work. It doesn't work. So you're talking, so, and just to be clear with this, you're talking about what ribeye, filet, what? If it's grass fed and grass finished, the fattier the cut, the healthier it is. If it's industrial meat, you want filet or something lean because you want to avoid fat from industrial animals Got because it. it's full of toxins and omega-6s. So for, for a guy like me who's, who's, you know, lean weight is 150. Yeah. So you so want 150 grams of, you can be, it can be ground beef. It doesn't have to be steak, but yeah, yeah. grass-fed, grass-finished beef. Beautiful. And alongside of that, just some nice herbs. Um, herbs. I crust everything in herbs. Uh, mostly rosemary and oregano are the ones I do a lot of salt. Most people, especially if you're on a lower carb diet, you're not getting enough salt and it needs to be sea salt or mined salt. But 
Then what about plants? So I eat a lot of arugula. It's good for you. I eat some fruit, but not all fruit is good for you. You know, kiwi fruit and pineapple, for example, and red raspberries. Those are delicious, but they're high in oxalates. In fact, they're a cause of a lot of systemic inflammation for people. Mm. I didn't know this early on. In fact, I used to eat you know, two cups of red raspberries a day because they're so healthy. I also had to pee 25 times a day and had to have a camera stuck up my, we'll say my junk, uh, in order to figure <laughs> out what the heck was wrong with me. And it was just too much raspberries. raspberries, too much oxalate. And I've run into so many people, especially women, who say, oh, I have interstitial cystitis. I'm like, no, you don't. You're eating beets and kale and spinach and raspberries and almond milk every day. Stop it. And then three days later, their lifelong symptoms are gone. Like you had a nutritional problem. You didn't have interstitial cystitis. Who's the oldest living person you know or have known of? Mm, my grandmother's 102 or 101, one of those. Um, let's see. I've come in contact with people who are 107, 109 kind of things. And you mentioned the blue zones earlier. I, I just have to say this, Dan. Because you, he's yeah. he's pushing vegan, yeah, like big as and well. I I love Dan Buettner as a human being. Like he he's I'd say one of us. The, the there's a group of people who've been looking at radical human longevity for 30 years, right? And and it was almost dangerous to do this 30 years ago because people just thought you were crazy. Um, he's been on my show. Huge respect for him as a human being. Um, from a scientific perspective, I cannot support the work. Uh, kind of like the China study, it is that there's so much cherry picking in it. Hong Kong is also a blue zone that has the highest meat consumption of anywhere. You know what I noticed in that show on Netflix? When they went to Italy, which I know they yeah. eat steak. There. Salami, they, they, salami, they, salami. They just stayed away yeah. from the diet portion yeah. of the show. I, I it, do know that. It's, I it's yeah. wishful thinking. In, in all of those parts of the world, they eat as much protein and fat as they can get from animals. And it's funny, it always goes back to economics. If you're poor, you have chickens because they make eggs, mm. right? And if you get a little bit more money, you might have a duck or two. Ducks make better fat, but fewer eggs. And then you get more money. Then you get a pig. And these are things that can eat anything. And the pig makes a ton of fat and makes more pigs. And if you have a little bit more money, you have a sheep or a goat. If you have a little bit more money, which means more land, you have a cow. And in terms of quality of fat and quality of protein, that's how the spectrum works. So if, so if we were, so if this was a thousand years ago mm -hmm. and me and you were about to have lunch right now, what would we go do and what would we eat? I would be eating the hump off the back of the buffalo, which is the fat. So what they would typically do is they would kill a buffalo and they would give the liver to the pregnant women and kids first and they would give the hump of fat off the back to the chief because those are the most valuable parts of it and then we'd eat the rest of it, yep. And then from now to a thousand years ago, there's been a story that's been told. Well, the story is we need because to survive. Because there was no Whole Foods. There was no super. We, there was no none of this. The, the reason, and if you read the history, and it's actually really fascinating. I just, I just read a, a, a great book on this. The reason we killed all the buffalo in the U.S. was literally to stop the American indigenous people uh, from having the food that kept them strong. Really? They had such an amazing infrastructure set up. They could ride 800 miles in, in a very small amount of time. So it was small bands that were doing raids in different states. And it was because they had access to Buffalo. And once the U.S. figured it out, like, all right, let's cut off the supply chain. Right? Wow, you're kidding. Wow. It's, this, this is a real thing. And you know, 
it makes sense. Yeah, it makes and, sense. and it's, it's very sad because they knew that this happened. And if you look at the writings and the things that, that they would say when they, they were pushed into reservations, it was, you know, you're giving us the land where there is no food and the land won't produce food. And when it does produce food, it's the wrong food, right? And so if you want to be strong and healthy, you eat red meat. And it doesn't matter if, if a fat billionaire is telling you that you need to not do it, who has an agenda that is not in your best interests, then you tell them, then you eat the soy burgers, dude. Um, but if you try to pass laws or do other coercive things to stop me from choosing the food that makes my biology feel best, you have declared war on mankind. Like there is no moral right. There is no ethical right. There is no right at all for you to do that. And now this will sound a little bit bad, but there are many people on the planet who do not eat fake meat and politicians are made out of meat. So it feels like the politicians should make sure that there's an adequate supply of meat for those type of people, <laughs> because otherwise I don't think they're going to like the world that they're creating. And like, I, I would like us to have a, a peaceful thing where we just recognize, look, if you want to live off corn and earthworms, because it makes you happy with my blessing and support. Right. And if I'm an earthworm rights advocate, then I should shut up because it's your choice. Yeah. And vice versa. Yeah. So there's a room for us to have different nutritional philosophies. And I'm just going to say, may the best person win. Dave, to be clear, yeah. I just want to live to 120 or beyond because I know it's possible. Yeah. And I'm just on a journey. But you of... don't want to just live there. That The just is cutting yourself short. You want to live that way at full energy with full consciousness, yeah, I, with full vibrancy. Absolutely. There absolutely. are people trying to make you eat stuff that takes away your energy. So you probably won't get there anyway, but along the way you're going to suffer greatly. I'm not going to do that. And I will not allow them to do that to me or my kids. And neither will tens of millions of other people. I, I don't know if you're following the stuff around people burning down our egg production facilities, destroying meat production facilities across the U.S. No. Oh, there's more than a thousand uh, animal protein and animal fat, dairy, meat, and egg facilities that have been bombed, burned, had these amazing industrial accidents over the last three years. So there are people who are actively trying to take away your food and my food. And I don't think that's going to, to be successful, but whoever's doing that, it, it does look targeted because you can watch it move around from one city to another city. Um, I don't know who that is, but it seems like bad people. Bottom line is if you're listening to this and you have room for chickens, having chickens is amazing. They eat all your table scraps. Instead of putting them in industrial compost, now you have chickens. It's cool. If someone's listening to this and they want to find, you know, um, Clean, healthy, grass-fed, raised on regenerative farms, mm -hmm. beef. Where do they go? Well, if you follow me on Instagram, Dave.Asprey, I talk about that some of the time. But the best thing you do is go to your farmer's market. Talk to the guy who's raising the animals. Mm -hmm. Look him in the eye. Ask him how he treats the animals. And what you're going to find is usually a family and it, people who care so deeply and they know everything about it. And if that's not available to you, Go online and find someone who's local, even if it's not in a in a farmer's market environment, and you can call them up. You go to their webpage and say, hey, I want to buy a quarter cow. Go to Costco. Freezer is going to cost you 200 bucks, and you buy a quarter cow, and it's going to cost you maybe six to $8 for a grass-fed, grass-finished cow. You get a lot of hamburgers and some cuts you don't know what to do with, like rump roast. I just grind all that stuff up and make ground beef out of it because it's who wants a rump roast. But when you do that, your cost isn't much more than you were going to pay at the store. And you focus on eggs 
same thing. Eggs from a farmer's market are different than eggs from the store. If it says vegan fed, it just means poorly treated for chickens. Just as a guy who, who raises chickens, man, those are not vegan chickens. Mm. Uh, that's a starvation diet for them. Um, so if you were to prioritize your money on, on grass-fed meat, grass-finished meat, buy it in bulk, uh, you, there's a bunch of places online where you can do that. And I, I don't want to call it just one place at the expense of the others, but there's lots sure, of sure, places sure, sure. where you... So, but buying it at your local... Whole Foods or somewhere, you can do that. It's just more expensive. Got it. Right, and you you'll probably get better treated animals when you when you buy a part you know a part of the animal. Got it. Um, and then you can ensure that it's real. Um, so I would say eggs, rice, if you tolerate it, grass fed dairy protein. Uh, many people don't tolerate it. If you do, it can be good for you. Yeah. Uh, and then in terms of fats, throw away your seed oils and replace them with grass fed butter. Or if you're sensitive, use ghee. And you can use some coconut oil, but all coconut oil probably isn't where you want to end up. I cook with tallow and duck fat. Uh, those are good. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you're, you for being here. You're very welcome. I feel like there's one more thing we didn't talk about. Let's do it. And, uh, and you can edit this in if you want. I've spent six months of my life with electrodes glued to my head and my company called 40 Years of Zen. And this is, call it a digital mystery school. It's because my brain didn't used to work very well. But most of my consciousness work after I learned this from different lineages has been around measuring my brain. And I've had more than 1,500 people come through the 40 Years of Zen program. And a recent uh, graduate just said it, it's like the best plant medicine journey I've ever been on without the plants. Without the plants, yeah. Because we have access to all of these states internally, uh, even without breath work, although breath work can help. So if someone's listening to this and saying, what are you talking about all this? How do you know all this stuff? Well, there are states our brains can go into and our bodies can go into that are available to all of us, or at least to most of us. And they're not labeled. And the doorways to open them are hard to find. And you can find the doorway with psychedelics. But if you rely on psychedelics to find the doorway every time, you've created dependence. For Just sure. like if you rely sure. on a guru to sure. open the door for you every time, for you, you yeah. have to know where the door is and how to open it. In my own path, neurofeedback uh, at 40 Years of Zen has been the most reliable way of doing that. So one of the things I'm working on today is taking the tech from 40 Years of Zen, and there's seven patents in neuroscience that's a part of that one of my companies, uh, and we're putting it at Upgrade Labs. So when an Upgrade Labs opens in your neighborhood, you'll be able to come in and have 20-minute you know, sessions that are really, really potent of just neuroscience showing your brain these doors that you don't have labeled yet. Mm. When we're done, we being both of us and everyone else working on increasing consciousness, um, all humans are going to know how to access these states at will. Beautiful. That makes us very hard to program. That's beautiful. That is incredible. There you go. I'm in for that. All right. Yeah. And I just saw Mark walk by, so. Oh, nice. Yeah, we'll get to say Let's hi. Let's do a group photo. Yeah, that's it for this week's episode of The Higher Self. Man, I hope you are, uh... well, what can I say? I hope you're ready to be a biohacker, right? And to go out and find for yourself what works best for you. I definitely, definitely, there was a lot that resonated with me on today's episode. So thank you. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Thanks for watching this week's episode of The Higher Self. If you heard something in this week's episode that caused you to think maybe, just maybe, there was a higher potential for your life, maybe there was a potential to earn and receive financial freedom, to attract the relationship of your dreams, or to improve your health, that's what we specialize in. 
We help wonderful human beings like yourself to unravel all of the limiting thoughts, feelings, and emotions that you've been living through so that you can finally tap into your life's truest potential. If you'd like to talk more about that, we invite you to join us on Instagram or Facebook and email us the word discover more. And when my team sees that, they will reach out to you, send you the details of how we could help you on your pathway to a life of abundance, fulfillment, and creating the absolute life of your dreams. Message us right now the words discover more now on Instagram or Facebook, and we'll see you soon.